In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, a comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and full of scripture. Our treasure is a good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse of the stain and save our souls, a good one. Sit down. Last month, we, we, uh, I presented the introduction to the life of the Holy Numata Constantine the Turk. And because some of you weren't here last time, I might try and summarize quickly before we go on with the um, story. And just to remind that it is very, very important, as you'll see as we read the life tonight, to read the lives of saints. Because I, if I remember right, St. John Chrysostom and others have said that he who does, he or she who does not read the lives of saints cannot be saved. So that is how important it is to read the lives of saints. Now, thanks God, compared to decades ago, where there was not much um, in existence of lo uh, lives of saints, orthodox books, or service books for that matter, um, I remember many, many years ago there was just one book, brought out by the Antiochians on, um, you know, different services, a little bit of trapario of each service, of, a, of each feast day. Now, it's been, it's a, I have to say, it's a miracle that there exists so many lives of saints in English and so many um, service books in English. Now, of course, a lot of these things exist in all the languages, in Greek and Russian and Serbian, but there's something special about the English. Now, a lot of churches still worship in their ancient language, ancient Greek, Slavonic, etc., Arabic, and not many people understand, but in the English world, in, in the Orthodox English world, services, there are many parishes which conduct them in English, and this is especially uh, frightful to the devil because when a person goes to the Greek church or the, you know, or an Arabic or a um, Slavonic, where they do that in, where they, where they do their language in there, a lot of people don't understand. And people just sit there, they'll do a few rituals, some will absorb into the service as much as they can, some understand a little bit. But when it's in English, when the Gospels read in English, the Epistles read in English, the Troparia read in English, the service is, is done in, is, um, in English, this is extremely frightful to the devil because people begin to learn the orthodox faith through the services and also it's frightful even though a lot of these lives do exist in the modern greek the modern arabic russian or serbian etc which is good but the failure is in the services and there and if you read a lot of orthodox uh, publications magazines, you see that a lot of English-based parishes or monasteries have been persecuted. A lot of problems have, have they've gone through. And why? Because they are producing English material which penetrates into the soul of the Orthodox Christian. And not only that, many converts have come to the church through the English you know, in America, not much here, unfortunately, but hopefully it will get that way. But in America, there are 
parish after parish after parish all over America which do services fully in English. You know, the Orthodox uh, Church of America has, I don't know, 40, 50, 60% English. Even their bishops are American. So that is very good. In Australia, I would have to say it's not a very good thing which is happening, but slowly, slowly, I think that is changing. So as I read the life of Saint tonight, you concentrate and I will explain as much as possible. I actually had this rewritten, so I've, I've inserted some things in there which wasn't in the original to help people understand. But I will explain as to the best of my ability more detail uh, and you will see how fruitful it is to read the lives of saints. Now you might say, but you're explaining it. If we read it, how do we know? Well, the same way I obtain the knowledge by reading the lives of saints and also it is important not just to read lives of saints and read the gospel and but you also must go to the services and on top of that you must try to live the life to struggle in an orthodox manner if not then if you read the lives of saints it's not going to make much of a difference to you because the lives of saints are the gospel in practice and without the lives of saints the gospel is meaningless so the uh, just quickly saint constantine was born a turk on the island of Lesvos, which is which we now call Mytilini, and his Turkish name was unknown at that time. So therefore, through the life, even though he hasn't been baptized yet, the person who wrote his life just refers to him as Constantine, even though uh, he, he, his name wasn't that. Uh, the, Lesvos, as you know, belonged to the Byzantine Empire until it, until it was taken over by the Ottoman Turks in 1462. From young, he there was some type of something special about him and um, which you'll hear more when if you listen to the first tape but it was obvious that God's hand was on him and I'm not, that, that goes against a lot of people who say that God only looks down and only touches the lives of Orthodox but does not uh, touch the lives of anyone else you know whether they're Muslim or whether they're this or whether they're that you know God shines his light on everyone obviously if you're more going according to his will the more it is blessed but do not ever think that there are others that the others or because they might not be christians or they might not be orthodox that they are being disdained by god ignored etc that is um pharisaical and on that if you i if you read the gospels there were many references where Christ used the examples of, some, of, of saying um, uh, a man went down and a Samaritan came and helped him to put down the Jews at that time who had this elitist type of uh, idea that they were superior. Yes, they were the chosen people. Yes, they had the true faith. But they had gone to the point where they hated everyone else who was not Jewish. And I have to say that there are many orthodox today who 
have the same type of mentality, which is that they hate anyone else because they're not orthodox, because supposedly they're devils or they're heretics or they're apostates, etc. And the other one was the woman uh, who had the um, possessed daughter, if I remember, the Canaanite woman thing. She also was not a Jew, but yes, yet Christ said, I've never seen such faith even in Israel. So he was stressing and he was trying to put across that that type of spirit was unwelcome in God's eyes. It was, it was a horrible spirit. And so those examples in the New Testament, where he refers even to the centurion who wasn't even a Jew, and other examples you'll see in there, there are so many where Christ praises them, the non-Jews, the unbelievers, in other words, as the Jews called them, he praised them more than what he did to many of the Jews who held the correct faith. So that is a one of the dangers which does exist. It's called um, true faith believers. That's an expression I heard, uh, uh, I read somewhere. True faith believers are those who believe that their faith is correct, which we do. And Muslims believe that their faith is correct, and some Protestants believe that their faith is There's others who are ecumenical, and they say, oh, everyone's faith is all right. But there are others in all of the other different religions in the world who have this thing that their faith is the correct one. But the problem there is that when that occurs, as we can see, with some Muslims and with some, you know, Protestants or Catholics or whatever, and Orthodox, that fanaticism creeps in, this Phariseeism um, creeps in, and hate begins to develop. We have to be very, very careful. We can still say we have the correct faith, that we believe in the correct dogma, without disdaining and hating others, which is loathsome to God. We can hate the lies, we can hate the, the, uh, the um, heresy, but we cannot hate the people. But unfortunately, people get confused, and then they begin to look at the person who has another dogma, who believes in a heretical uh, teaching, and they hate the teaching, but they hate the person as well. And this is not going to lead us into the heavenly kingdom. Actually, I had a service fellow come to the monastery uh, last week or the week before to fix something, and he um, he was a Coptic, and he was saying to me, "Oh, how uh, oh, I wish that the you know for for us to." unite with the orthodox and i said that's good yes that's uh that's good I, I would like that as well and i said but in truth but nice i didn't say to him like holding a knife to his neck i said to him you know in in um in truth like but casually and he said yes yes in truth and um he goes what's the difference and uh, and he was like a subdeacon or what he was in their church and he was saying about the the monophysite you know the two natures of christ i said you we don't you we know we are together for the first ecumenical council, the second ecumenical, the third, but after the fourth, you don't rep. So from the fourth and on, 
you don't recognize the fourth medical council and this and that. Some say it was to do with language, and he was saying, oh, how I wish it was together. I go, yes, that's correct. Yes, union would be great in truth, and just kept on going like that. And then he started to, I think maybe he was acting dumb, and he was, um, then he started going on to the teaching of the, um, the, the monophytes, how they present them. They're trying to say that their pope, um, the Coptic pope, has now presented the, the two nature, you know, of, and, but, but I've heard that I've read in orthodox books that still, even though he's written that, you know, they believe in the two natures, but it still is, uh, has a monophysite type of uh, spirit to it. And he started going on and on, and I got a bit confused because I didn't know what he was talking about. And I, plus, I've never really delved into it that much. So I just said simply to him, nicely, I said to him, ah, oh, it's too theological for me. I haven't studied theology. I don't know about that. I said, that's too... De All I know is that uh, I believe, as the Orthodox Church believes, that Christ has two natures, that he's perfect God and perfect human, that he... Is, uh, he has the two natures. That's what I believe. I believe whatever the church believes. And that was it. And I felt good. Now, if I didn't do that, then my conscience would have started to burden me and maybe I s agreed with him or maybe I doubted or something like that. And the devil plays tricks. So we always have to reaffirm and then stop the conversation. So uh, unless you know. If you know, that that's, that's um, different. But I just said, I believe in the two natures according to the fourth ecumenical council we have to know that there are many orthodox people simple people from villages or just even from cities who are not really aware of the dogmas of the church they're not that educated they don't know how to read some people or if they do know how to read they just can't understand it and it's and therefore we know from our teachings that a person has to confess orthodoxy to be saved so what happens to these people who really do not even know that there is what the ecumenical councils are about, what's the two natures, um, what is the teaching about the divinity of Christ, the Holy Spirit, etc. Et and they, they might say the creed, but some don't really understand what they're even saying. What happens to them? I read something once which is very good, and it's good for us to know because maybe we don't know properly the orthodox teachings and the and what I read is is really really important for us to remember, and these and people on their deathbed, or well, should do it all the time, but especially people on their deathbed, have confessed and said, "I believe whatever the Orthodox Church teaches. I accept whatever the Orthodox Church teaches." And that's it, and they and they and they die. Because they didn't have the mind to be able to understand it or whatever reason they don't understand many of the things, but they understood some. They confess that. And we also must every day in our prayers uh, confess and say, I confess whatever the Orthodox... We have to have trust that whatever the Orthodox Church has established through its councils, that we adhere to that we believe in that with all our heart even if we don't understand it like the whole the concept of the holy trinity i mean i read books on that sometimes and i become a bit baffled it's a bit it's you know when especially when they go very very deep i really can't follow it fully but what does that mean i confess 
that God is Trinity according to the Orthodox Church. And if we do not have that trust for the Church, then we better try to acquire it because we are in danger. What does that mean? Now, someone can say, oh, does that mean that whatever the priest says or whatever the bishop says, we have to take? No, what the church says. And people say, well, what does the church say? Well, you read, you read, if you are able, books which explain the dogmas of the church. And when you read Lives of Saints, St. Flavian, for example, with his disputes with those monophysites, monotholites, those people, and then there's the Arians with St. Athanasius, when you read the life of St. Athanasius, and then the other saints who fought with, uh, with Macedonius or Nestorius, or the mother of God, and they in there touch on all those dogmas of the church. So all that helps us. But even if as we're reading it, we don't understand it. I remember, I understand certain things now, which I didn't understand 10 years ago, or when I came to the church 20 years ago, I can't remember now. I was reading things, and I didn't understand it. But what we have to have at least is this firm conviction with all our hearts that we believe what the mother says, which is the church. We have to look at the church as the mother, as divine, holy, perfect, pure, 100% in its dogmas, it's 100% true. As for individual bishops or priests or patriots which start to say different things, we ignore. We don't accept that. But we accept whatever the church teaches. So, at 15 years old, uh, St. Constantine uh, went through a very big temptation. Some evil woman, and I think it was another Turk, a Turkish woman, uh, with the instigation of the devil, gave him some, some food which was, had uh, magic on it and he became sick where he was sick for three years in bed. He became basically blind, etc. An orthodox woman who was a neighbor uh, went up to the mother of the boy who was, who was um, maybe eight, probably 18 at that time now because three years and said, why don't we take him to an orthodox spring to, uh, where there's water and we'll put him in the water and, and, they, and he, they, they did that and he got better. He... Um, then they moved uh, from Mytilene to somewhere in Turkey to a city called, an ancient city called Magnesia and with their stepfather, but he was a drunk and then he would beat them and then him and his brother, because he was a brother, so St. Constantine, his brother and a sister. The brother and St. Constantine left and they went to Smyrna, which again is in Turkey and they, there they became um, deliverers of vegetables. One of the people that they would deliver the, the vegetables to was the bishop of that, of that city of Smyrna, and St. Constantine going there, delivering the vegetables, would go to the church, would listen. What are they saying? Uh, it doesn't really say, there's, there's a lot of, it's, there's a bit of a lapse here where they're not saying how many years it was, how old he was at, after, but it says anyway in the account that he, he learned Greek, and he was, he really loved to listen to um, sermons and the, and uh, elders reading spiritual books. So he became interested in the Orthodox Christian faith, which was, as you know, for a Turk, for a Muslim to be interested in that in those days, it was dangerous that he could have been killed, as it is in some countries today, in some uh, 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 Muslim countries, 
it is very dangerous for a Muslim to become orthodox. And we explained that there's a big movement in um, with Father... I forgot his name now. Father, I mentioned love. What's his name? Father Daniel, an archman right in Indonesia where he actually has a parish and he's converted quite a few Muslims to the Christian faith and hopefully one day we'll get an account of that and print it so that you can actually read that. That's a, that's a modern day miracle. And it's, and it's dangerous. And then there was a plague in the city. And, and as, is, as is a custom of um, many Muslims, even in Orthodox countries, we've said before that he went to the great martyr George, the church of that, to light a candle and to pray that he be spared from the plague. And as I said, I, I was in Kosovo in 1991, and I noticed that many Muslims would come to the, to the monastery I was at and um, ask for prayers from, from the Orthodox priests if their women couldn't have a baby or whatever. So... Um, He was spared. St. George hearkened to his prayers and he was spared. And then uh, he started to live a pretty bad life all of a sudden. He forgot about all the miracles. He forgot about everything, about what happened to him. And he began to lead a life which is usual for young people of debauchery. And he fell into a, a number of um, sins and had no regard for God's commandments. And then God enlightened him, it doesn't say how long after, and he decided to, he repented, and he decided to go to Mount Athos. When he went to, when, on the way to Mount Athos, he was in a boat, and he uh, came across a demonic type of monk who stole something from him, and then he nearly had a fight with him, nearly killed him actually, because the, the, the monk, the orthodox monk, uh, who had gone off, obviously, uh, was inspired by the demon and shouted out in front of everyone in the boat that you are a Turk that wants to become baptized. And that's why the saint got mad and then he killed him. Anyway, that, that people held him back. And then finally he arrived at Mount Athos and um, there he opened up to a monk, to a spiritual father, that he wants to become baptized. But the monks of the of the skeet were instructed by the St. Paul's Monastery, which they were dependency of, not to baptize him because if the Turks find out, they will, could even burn down the monastery. It was that serious if someone converted in those days. So they sent him to the big monastery of Lavra, Megistis Lavra's way, the Great Lavra, which is down the end of Manathos, there on the end, a very big monastery and there he spoke again to a um, spiritual father and the spiritual father told him to go to Eviron monastery where Gregory V was who was in exile and then he saw a, a vision of the mother of God I think and um, anyway he went to the patriarch and the patriarch was testing him and said, what do you want to be baptized for? What do you want to become orthodox for? You know, you're young, you're a Turk, you have power, you have the money, you have everything. What do you want to become baptized? And then 
uh, the saint put his head down and was sad about it, and then the patriarch said, "No, no, we will, we will baptize." It was a, it was a test, and basically, as I said last week, he was sent here and there and everywhere, um, and that's where we got up to the temp the that the temptations that he went to to become baptized. Now, remember what I said last last time. In a lot of religions, we have the cup of teas, the nice biscuits. You know, we have the nice treatment to convert. So you're not getting a cup of tea because they love you, but you're getting a cup of tea because they want to convert you. And that's not uh, proper. And a lot of people, because they have gone through torn families where they weren't, ha where they weren't given much love, become victims of these places where because they're noticed, they're acknowledged, um, they speak to them nicely to convert them into um, their religion. But in St. Constantine's case, he was told to go there and there, and then they said, yes, we'll baptize you, no, we're not, and yes, we will, and no, we're not, and over here and over there. So he went through quite a lot, and God allowed that to happen to test him. People do not want tests now. You know, you want to marry someone, and then some temptations occur and then people say oh I can't take the ten temptations and I'm not going to get married or whatever good we do whether we're going to do something a holy work or we want to fast or we want to pray or whatever is good for our souls God allows the demons to bother us and they and he allows that to test us to see whether we are doing it out of pride whether we have a fantasy that we're great Christians, etc. And these, and these um, temptations are very, very necessary. But today, as Father Seraphim Rose, American, used to say, um, American Orthodox used to say that it's the Coca-Cola generation, that a lot of people have been brought up to want things now, I want to become orthodox now, I want to become spiritual now, I want to see visions now, I want to float in the air now, and I want to fly, etc., etc., now. Now, in the other religions, some other religions, Eastern religions, that believe in reincarnation or that, you get pretty much, you get uh, some feelings pretty quickly, especially if you smoke a bong or so, which a lot of them have, then you will even get the feeling even more. So they receive, they have spiritual experiences. People want spiritual experiences, but they're not knowing a lot of times the experience that they are experiencing is demonic because the demons have abilities to make what is what looks like from the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry, he has the, the demons have the ability to make something which looks like from the Holy Spirit, but it's really from him. So people feel some peace. They go to certain religions and say, oh, and I felt peace. But the peace that they are feeling is from, could be from self-esteem, could be from self-love. I mean, if you look at some of the... Uh, uh, people on TV and movie stars or whatever, a lot of them have peace too because they love themselves. But as I said a few weeks ago, that if they, if a blemish forms on them or a pimple, they, they become quite terrorized because their perfect face has, is not there anymore. So this is not spiritual peace, which is given to the Christian who struggles in an orthodox manner. So 
for reasons known to God alone, the patriarch, Gregory, who promised that he's going to do the baptism, he didn't come because the patriarch said, you go back to Kapsuk Olivia to the skeet there and I'll come and baptize you. And he didn't. And the elder Gabriel, seeing Constantine's continued despair due to not being baptized, decided to perform the baptism himself. While fully immersed in the youth into the font three times, he exclaimed, the servant of God, Constantine, is baptized in the name of the Father, Amin, and of the Son, Amin, and of the Holy Spirit, Amin. And behold the miracle, Constantine's face shone so brightly that those who stood near were unable to look at him. Now, when you go to an Orthodox baptism, this is something which is noticeable. I'm, I've baptized a few children, but also, you know, there was a recent baptism uh, a few weeks, a few days ago, I think, and all of you who have gone, you'll see that the child radiates light, and it's very, very peaceful. That's true peace, and that's true light, because the Jehovah Witnesses can also come to your door, and they look peaceful, and they look quite bright. Because, as St. Paul says, that the devil can transform himself into an, into an angel light. In other words, the devil can make light appear. He can make uh, so, uh, someone smell incense in a room. He can make flowers do funny things, you know, and things floating around and scratches on the walls and all these type of things. This is, you've got to be careful of these things because... The demons have quite a lot of ability because we haven't got the experience to understand. But when you read the lives of saints, you'll understand that their tricks are many. And people get confused and they say, oh, I've, I prayed to the icon and the icon gave off a smell. And that means that the mother of God is favorable towards me. And then they start believing, they have dreams and they go, and others say, oh, you know, the, the lights flickering. And we know from the those of us who watch the TV and know about, you know, haunted houses and things moving and winds and noises and that. Some of them, of course, as I said before, are false, but a lot of them are true. And people believe that there's the spirits in there or the, the lady that used to live there is living still in there. And then, you know, but that's, you know, and I even spoke to, a, um, I mean, that's very bad to say, but even a, a presbyterian, which is a, 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 pr a priest's wife, where she said that somewhere in um, Summer Hill, I think it was, there's a house which has two ghosts. This is what she was telling me. Now, there's a good ghost and there's a bad ghost. And this woman was the pre a priest's wife. And she was speaking to me and she fully believed. And I often, when we go past that house, I often say, I wonder, you know, who's cooking tonight, the good ghost or the bad ghost? So, There's a lot of ignorance, and even though you're laughing, but you should, you know, bring it back to yourselves, and I bring it back to because all of us are open to believe these things. You'd be surprised how many Orthodox who have been in the church for years, and even read spiritual books, who say silly things, things that are dangerous. And they, you know, they, you know, they say, oh, there's a house in such and such a suburb, and... Um, there's, you know, some phenomena going on, but you don't know. What, it, what, what is it? Is it true? Is it not? The Orthodox Church does not run very quickly. Actually, the Catholics don't even run that quickly either, but when they do, they make a, a big deal about it, like Lourdes and things. They make a whole shrine, even though they're a bit precautious in the beginning. But the Orthodox Church is very careful when things like that occur.
After a short while, in order to fulfill the promise that he made to the Mother of God, he received the blessing to visit the Holy Monastery of Iviron to light a candle in front of the Portaritisa Porta icon. He made a promise and he said to the Mother of God, please, you know, I want to be baptized and if, you, and if, you, if this happens, I'll come back to light a candle. He was given the blessing. He went there and after he went from there, he went to another, to another skeet to meet an experienced elder who was known for helping people prepare for martyrdom, especially Greeks who had uh, become Muslims, either out of convenience or out of, uh, or they were forced. You know, some were held down and were circumcised by force. Some did it because they were scared. Some did it because they were able to get power, like um, better jobs and things like that. And some of them repented and they would go to the uh, to this particular skeet, some became monks, whatever, and they would be prepared, they were being prepared to go back to confess Christ and to denounce the faith of Islam. While there, he venerated the numerous relics of the new martyrs that they had, that they had created. And a lot of times when these martyrs, you know, when, when, they, when they were killed, uh, if they were able to, they would get their relics and take them back to this particular skeet. So this skeet had a number of relics, remains of uh, martyrs who had confessed in that, in, in that manner. And he venerated the relics, which is a practice of the Orthodox Church. Then he returned to the skeet of Kapsukalivia, and the elder Gabriel, the one who baptized him, noticed that he was gloomy, that he was a bit depressed. And he asked him, what is wrong? Uh, that you are that you know that you're depressed you know trust me and 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 tell me what is your problem the saint convinced of the elders love and care for his soul opened his soul and said this is that's that, that's very important we don't just open up to anyone and i have to say even to a monk or a priest you don't just open up to anyone because you don't know who the person that you're opening up has a pre proper spiritual attitude whether they are struggling and you know are people who care for your soul or are they people who want to control you or people who could even deceive you and etc you've got to be very very careful you've got to be convinced through what people have said you know we say oh there's an elder in athens his name is porphyrios and people would run to him, but he but he was there for decades and decades and decades, and and um, people were convinced, and priests and other bishops were convinced that this man was holy. So that's that's a. I mean, I went to him when I was a layperson, and uh, I had a certain desire for something. I wasn't sure what to do, and I went to him, and I felt just being near him, the the grace that these people have when you go near holy people and you might say well how do you know maybe you were deceived that's that's correct but when it's a lot of people and it's you know recognized by monastics all over greece etc and maybe even other countries then you know there's something's good there so um but not to anyone you must be convinced or know that this person cares for your soul and this obviously how do we know that Elder Gabriel cared for his soul? How do we know? Because if he was caught baptizing him, he would be killed. 
So I don't think he did it to get a bit of a, like a fee, like people say, oh, the priests charge and things like that, and that that's why they baptise and other silly things, even though that, that's true that some people, they're more focused on the, um, the fees that they get for the church. But this person didn't receive a fee. This person received a death sentence. Anyone who would betray them, and if he got caught, that that Constantine Laron and he opened up under torture who baptized him the Turks would have went there and tortured that that monk the, the, the spiritual father so I would say yes he does care uh, father the reason for my sadness is none other than this after I kissed the sacred relics of the new martyrs my soul was completely enthralled by them and my mind was struck as you see me now and the desire to imitate their deeds has occupied my spirit. So as soon as he, he venerated the relics, he felt within himself this desire, I want to martyr. I want to martyr. And um, for Christ. The elder on hearing this glorified the Lord and said loudly, be, Blessed be the Lord, my child, if this is pleasing to him, only he as the Almighty God can accomplish these things for you. Humble advice from the elder, discerning advice. See, it's a good desire if this is God's will. And if it is, he will work it out for you. He didn't start going there and telling him you do this and you catch the boat to that place and then you go there and you say this and then they'll do this and this. None of that. He just said, leave it to God if it's his will. Immediately... The elder called the spiritual father to instruct Constantine in the way in which he should prepare himself. He instructed and blessed one, the, um, he instructed the blessed one to fast for 40 days, eaten only once a day, and to be cautious at all times so as not to be seen by anyone. The elder, even though he was a holy person, didn't have the experience to prepare him, the saint, for this big thing. See, everyone's got a gift. Some, some people have the gift, some priests have the gift to be able to read exorcisms and to rid the person from um, demonic, from, from uh, evil spirits. Others didn't have that. Others had the, the gift of preaching. Others had the gift of fasting. Others, each, each person has different gifts. This elder obviously had a lot of faith, but he didn't have that gift to prepare. So for, for example, I, as a priest, find it really difficult to speak, not because I hate them or because I just really don't know how to speak to um, heterodox, to non-orthodox. I find it difficult. I don't mind speaking to people like yourselves, orthodox Christians, lukewarm, some more zealous, some this, some that. I have no problems with that. I, I, I believe that God helps me to do that. But I cannot speak to them. But there are other priests who are gifted in that. And when someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm Catholic, I'm interested in becoming Orthodox, I might give them some books. I go, look, you know, you're better off going to such and such or such and such. They're really good and they're experienced. And that's it. You don't just take it on yourself and, and you know, think that you, that you can do everything. So this elder sent, sent, him, sent him somewhere else. The evening, the same... Uh, that evening the saint beheld the vision of Christ surrounded by a heavenly army. One of them whom the blessed one recognized as Saint Demetrius took him by the hand to present him to Christ. However, Christ said, this is within the dream, 
let him be, it's not time for him yet. And at this command he was released. Upon awakening he wondered at the meaning of this vision. He went to the elder and revealed his vision to him in order to receive advice. And the elder said, Do you not see that it is not God's will, but shall remain obedient and you shall be saved? Visions in the church has always been a problem. People, you know, really thirst to have visions or dreams and things like that. And the Holy Fathers say, do not believe dreams. And I have to deal with that a lot. You know, I'm speaking to people who are on the phone or in person and they say, you know, and I saw this dream and I saw that dream and I saw this and I saw that and I saw this. And it's just, you know, and you try, uh, what I say to them is, you know, the church teaches strictly not to believe in dreams and not to believe in visions. Now you might say then why is this written? Well this was confirmed because later on, I mean this wasn't written during the time, they, they didn't go and write this vision and make little pamphlets about it and send it everywhere. This was written after the saint martyred which obviously then showed that a lot of the stuff that happened beforehand was true. But you just don't take every single dream and everything. You ignore dreams and ignore visions because you and me, if we believe in them, will become deceived. And you notice that in a lot of, even within the Orthodox Church, but in a lot of religions, they really have this thing on visions and, you know, it's extremely dangerous. And St. John Climacus says, only an idiot believes in dreams. Only a fool believes in dreams. Now, if some saints had them, well, they weren't written immediately. They might have been written after they died. And that's after they proved through their blood, through their confession of faith, etc., etc., that they were saints and therefore we can take some notice of their dream. But, you know, when some granny down the street, you know, who... As I said last time, you know, watches antenna, Greek, Greek, you know, shows on TV and watches this and watches that. And all of a sudden she sees a dream. I really find it difficult. Is she seeing a dream or is she just remembering something that she saw from the Greek channel? I don't know. It's a bit, um, it bewilders me how people believe it, but they do. So after this, after the vision, the saint sensed that the, oh, but, but then again, someone might say that the older um, believed in this dream. Well, the elder, as I said, he already showed something. You know, he put his life on the line. He, he didn't go and write pamphlets, as we said, and, and broadcast everywhere. But he was enlightened because he was an elder and um, he chose, he, for him, obviously it doesn't say, but I'm sure he asked other elders on Mount Athos because, you know, when people watch, see things and they just keep it to themselves, or tell people that aren't experienced, that's not very good. When you, when you have some experience, you go and tell someone who you trust, a good spiritual father, and if he's a good spiritual father, then that spiritual father will ask others, or if, he, if there's no one else around, he would at least pray for God to you know, protect that person, to make sure that you know, it opens up what is the truth of the matter. So after this vision, the saint sensed that the enthusiasm he had for martyrdom was extinguished. He just basically lost interest. He continued his life at the skeet in obedience, a virtue which brings God's blessing in abundance. That's important. I said to you last time that obedience, 
that the elder just said to him, look, it's not time for you to martyr, just leave it alone, be obedient. If he was deceived, if this dream that Constantine saw was a deception, one of the signs surely after is the person becomes extremely proud and disobedient. They become angry because people don't believe their dreams. They become angry because they want to be acknowledged that that was from God. And those people rarely, if at all, um, become obedient. And as I said to you last time about the, um, the saint that was on the, the pillar, which was a new type of asceticism, even the Holy Fathers at that time never saw someone to be on a pillar day in and day out. Saint Simeon, the Stiliti, and they sent elders to him and said to him, the elders of the desert, the Holy Fathers, tell you to come down and to stop that. And he started to come down. And then they said, no, stay. We know it's from God. That's different to a person who is, um, would say was a, a deceived person, you know, would start throwing the bread rolls he's got up there and, uh, I don't know, water troughs and who knows what else they could throw at him and say, what I'm doing is from God. With all pride. And give a little grunt at the end from his um, satisfaction that he actually confessed the faith as well. So, a desire to visit his sister. Shortly thereafter, he got a thought to go and visit his sister, Magnesia, that she might be baptized. He had a zeal, you know, I want to baptize my sister. The young man immediately revealed his thoughts to the elder as he was unsure whether they were of the devil or from God. But how can it be from the devil? He's, he's uh, got a thought to go and baptize his sister. I remember once this person told me he had just changed and um, this person used to frequent the cross. Anyway, we won't go into detail for the younger ones, but he used to go and visit the He used to frequent there before, and later on he changed, and he, was, and he was started to lead an Orthodox life. And he had a thought, I'm going to go there and give some money to the, some of the, uh, what do you call that, the people in the streets, that, the poor people, the homeless up there. So he, but he was wise. He said, I'm going to check with the spiritual father. He didn't go and just go up there and go get in his car or, or go with the bus. You know, he said, I'm going to go and check with the spiritual father. He went to the spiritual father. The spiritual father said, no, don't do that. That's the devil's trick because he wants to get you back up there because once you see where you used to go and the things you used to do, you fall back into them. And he didn't do it. So when we expose our thoughts, when we expose our our deepest thoughts and feelings to someone that you trust, then God, seeing your humility, opens up, enlightens the spiritual father and, and to give you the correct guidance to protect you. So that person's thought was good. He's going to go and give money to the poor. And this person, St. Constantine's thoughts was good. He wanted to go and baptize his sister or have his sister baptized. But it could be a trick. It could be from God. There's no, there's no book. You don't have a book where, where there's advice and you open the book up and the book says, when someone wants to go and baptize their sister, you do the following. That does not exist in the Orthodox Church. Or if someone wants to go to the, to, to the cross to go and feed some people that are there that, have, that are homeless, you do the following. That, there's no teachings for that there's no clear thing some do now we know for example of some of the um 
holy some holy fathers who actually went into brothels and pretended to be a customer and then later on spoke to the to the person there and um, converted them or just said to them look how much do you make in the night this much I'll give it to you don't do anything tonight and just go to sleep but that's not for everyone that some did that that's very exceptional and because someone reads it and they believe oh I'm gonna go and do the same too and they come back having fallen so what is the thing we don't have a book about it with all these things of all these type of questions but what is necessary is what's called discernment discernment is a virtue actually it's above love discernment is that there are many holy fathers holy mothers who had love but not necessarily discernment discernment is this is the gift from God to know what to do what is the right thing to do the wisdom the enlightenment get married don't do that go there live there get that job do this do that there's somebody they're not written and we read, you know, we read the Optin Elders, we read St. Seraphim, and someone would come and then, you know, says, should I do this? And he goes, no, do this, 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 and this. So they were enlightened, they had the gift. And that person did it, and it all worked out well. But it, if he did the opposite, it doesn't mean on an orthodox point of view that that's wrong. You know, some people go to elders and say, oh, I'm thinking of moving to Melbourne, for example. I'm thinking of moving to Melbourne because I've got a job there. And, and say the person is enlightened, has the gift of discernment, and he becomes enlightened, or she, if it's a nun, becomes enlightened, and might say, uh, don't do that. But it's not a sin. See, we, it's not in the books. It doesn't say that if someone wants to move to Melbourne, it's a sin. It doesn't say if someone wants to stay in Sydney, it's a sin. It doesn't say any of that. So, but this person, say he had the gift of discernment, and being enlightened, foresaw which is very exceptional to find these people, that that was not a good decision because if that person did this, then this and this could happen, whatever, and therefore it's up to the person to listen. And people become confused because there's no formulas for these situations. And discernment is the greatest of virtues, but it's so much lacking in the Orthodox Church today. We rarely have spiritual fathers who... or even priests and even bishops who have the gift of discernment. Father Seraphim Rose, for example, of you know, who's got his books, he had the gift of discernment. Elder Porfirios had the gift of discernment. Elder Cleopa of Romania had the gift of discernment. Some people like to go and find those people, but I tell you, I'll tell you a secret. Some of you say, oh, if I had a, a spirit-bearing elder here, if I knew that there was a spirit-bearing elder in Sydney, I would go to them and I would get advice. Believe you me, the just this, the, the following. I will say that the majority of people, even 99.9% .9 of those that go, wouldn't even listen. Because it, for that situation to occur properly, you don't just need a spirit-bearing elder, but you need a humble person who's going to come and ask. 
And that's why you read in the Optin Elders, etc., and all these other books where people would go and get advice and they wouldn't do it. And I remember one example of the Optin Elders where someone went there to the elder, again, he already been there, and he said, oh, what should I do? And he goes, didn't you come here a few days ago? Didn't I tell you to do the following? Have you done it? He goes, no, he goes, get out. And someone will say, oh, that's not love. But we said that if he's got discernment, then he must have love. Because love, discernment is the highest virtue. Why then would he be so horrible? That is love. He's telling him, do the following, do the first. Because some people just don't listen and disobedience is death. And especially when you go to someone who's got a reputation, a true reputation as being a spirit bearing order, which as I said, there's hardly none in, around, but here and there, and you don't listen, you're blaspheming. So I would say that God, if he hasn't got anyone here in Australia, I would have to say the reason being is because there's no one here that's ready to listen. That's, the, um, that's my opinion. You can take it or leave it, whatever you like. But the truth is there is no one. So if there's no one, it must mean that maybe my theory is correct. Uh, shortly, yes. So he, um, the young man immediately revealed his thoughts to the elder as he was unsure whether that was from the devil, that this showed his spiritual maturity as those who progress in the spiritual life do not trust themselves. Elder Gabriel sent him to a spiritual father, again. So he said his thoughts to the, to the, to the elder, who baptized him, and then he sent him to someone else um, who confessed him and advised him to be obedient to his elder. To be obedient to his elder. See, the obedience is the, is the, is the key. It's the key. So if he said to him, oh, that's interesting, you want to go and baptize? He goes, oh, well, uh, go be obedient to your elder. If he reacts, we know it's not from God. He went and he became obedient to his elder. The, the same returned to Elder Gabriel and submitted his will to him. God, seeing the humility of the blessed Constantine, which was evident in his obedience to his elder, showed Elder Gabriel through a dream that the blessed one was ready for martyrdom. I mean, I'm not an elder, but I mean, even when people used to come and ask for advice on something or or um, or a, a monk says I want to do something A, B, C or D you know they want to say oh I want to do this and I might say to them I'll leave it for a while leave it for a while I said just leave it we'll look at it later and then five minutes later I want to do that and I want to do that and I want to do that and I want to do that now he went and he never came back so the elder began to collect money for Constantine's travel to Synodia, which was, uh, I think, somewhere in Crete. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, that's where um, he uh, was going to go. And the Ottoman... Uh, so the elder started collecting money so that he can go to this place in Crete called Synodia. And um, he also got some letters of recommendation to some spiritual fathers that were at that place. Uh, to help St. Constantine in his needs. He left Manathos and arrived at Sinodia, where he was recognized by a Turk who remembered him from the city of Zmidina. So when he arrived at this city, in Crete, I think it is, he, um, someone recognized him. Remember now that Christians dress differently to Turks. So he was now dressed like a Christian, and this person saw him and said, this person looks familiar. He wasn't either person that, yeah. So the Constantine decided to board a ship bound for Smyrna to go to his house. It must have been from Manathos. You have to go there first to go to Manathos to go to, um, to Smyrna where his sister was. And uh, so he wanted to avoid being um, arrested 
So what happened was that the Turk uh, reported him and he was arrested. The Blessed One was taken to the Aga, which is like a, a leader, a, a, some type of um, um, Turkish leader, could be civil or military, who questioned him concerning his origin, his name, and how he arrived there. The Sreyant replied, I am from far away, heading for the east. I'm a Christian by the name of Constantine. The Aga abruptly replied, you are lying. What would you say if there was someone who recognized you? And at that moment, the Turk came forward and said to him in an aggressive manner, does not your brother live in Smyrna together with you and you were involved in the green grocery trade? You are a shameless liar. The saint understood that the time had come to reveal his past. Remember, he wasn't sent to go for martyrdom. He was sent to go to try to get his sister baptized, not for martyrdom. But as Elder Gabriel correctly said, if it's God's will, he'll work it all out. And here it is. What he wanted, he got. Not even expecting it. And then he answered in a powerful voice, saying Constantine, really with faith and confident. He goes, indeed I was a Muslim, just as you are. You impious, not impious, so the word is impious. So it's you impious and lawless ones. But I was enlightened by God and learned that the faith of the Muslims is vain and only the faith of the Christians is true and pure. Therefore, Realizing it was to my benefit, I became a Christian in order to gain life everlasting. So he confessed the faith. He felt in his heart the time had come for his martyrdom. The Agar ordered that Constantine be lashed with the whip and confined in jail so he would reconsider. He also sent a message to another Agar from somewhere else to ask him to come here on an urgent matter. Um, could be that. The first guy had some humility and asked for someone else, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, he asked for someone else that was higher than him to come and um, look over the matter. Not many days later, the guy arrived and they told him about the martyr's case. They brought Constantine out of jail and called him forward, asking if he had come to his senses and seen that it was in his best interest to confess that the Islamic faith is sublime, that this Islamic faith is the truth. If so, they would give him many honours and important positions. Now, this is really important that a person to deny his faith is usually given something, whether it's freedom, escape from martyrdom, money, honours, a better job. You say, oh, well, that doesn't worry us. We're in Sydney and we're never going to be confronted with that. But, but I have to say that we are confronted with that often. In our everyday life, we are confronted with that. Whether it's when we work for someone and they tell us to do something illegal, or whether we, um, there is immoral situations, compromises in faith. Someone might say, oh, I want you to come, you know, to a heretical function or something to do with where there's prayer and you say I can't go but then they say well if you don't go you're not gonna you know you're gonna lose your job or you're gonna lose this or you're gonna lose that so people actually do uh, do a lot of wrong things for convenience and and things like that so don't just look at the lives and say oh that was an extreme point but that doesn't occur to us it, it does and as time goes on we will go in more into these situations if not they would cut his body to pieces by way of torture. He replied that it was impossible to meet their foolish demands. They ordered a second lashing and again confined him to jail. Everyone in Sinadi and the countryside learned of his confinement and many Christians came to encourage him secretly, most likely at night. So the Christians heard 
that St. Constantine was going towards martyrdom and they came to encourage him. Now, people read some lives of saints and unfortunately, some lives of saints have been written not in a very good way, I have to say, especially the, the, some of the ancient ones. So, for example, you might read a, a not a very good account of St. Barbara. St. Barbara was there and, you know, it shows that she was like a god, like a goddess or some description, and she never experienced pain and she didn't have any fear and she didn't have any thoughts of denying Christ, etc., etc. And some better lives of saints, they go through the, the experiences of the saints. And people get confused with that. And so therefore, when we in our Christian lives are going through troubles of despair, we don't think of the examples of the saints because a lot of times we haven't read lives where saints did fall into despair, did fall into depression, did fall into the thing of, I can't take this, I can't be a Christian anymore, there's too much temptation or whatever is involved. You know, I've got problems with my husband, I've got problems with my children, or I've got problems with my job or whatever because I'm a Christian. And... Um, That's why it's very important to read really good accounts of lives of saints. I'll tell you one of the reasons why some of the saints' stories were written years ago, like centuries, not very well. There was a lot of apostasy happening in certain periods of the church's history. Like, um, say for example, during the, um, when the pagans were killing a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians were apostatizing, and they were actually leaving the faith. So what they did is they would try to develop these types of lives of saints and things, but which showed the, the saint as a, like a superhero, some type of demigod, and not put in the weaknesses, thinking that the saints reading about the weak, the, the orthodox reading about their weaknesses would become put off. But it doesn't put you off. It actually helps for the person to say, oh, look, they were human, they were tempted. Like people read about celibacy and they read accounts of celibacy and some married couples say, I want to practice this celibacy. I want to abstain from my wife or abstain from my husband and they think that they're going to you know, do this type of thing because they read it they read it from a real account of a life of saint where it just says, and the saints became pure from their celibacy and all these type of things. But I read another account of a new martyr of Russia from the last century whereby he was, I think he was a priest and he and his wife, um, agreed on celibacy and it says there that he would burn with lust and in his the life it says there where he would express and say do you know what it's like to have something next to you which you are legally or lawfully by God's law allowed to have and not to have it and on most of you I can't go into detail because the young ones but you understand that legally I have the right to indulge in certain things but I, but, and he was burning and he found it difficult, etc. That's a good life. And if people want, people are thinking and saying, I want to abstain and I want to lead a more of a life of prayer, which I believe is quite difficult today, um, considering the temptations everywhere. But anyway, if some people want that, then they should read those lives of saints before they make a promise to God. Do not make promises, do not make vows which you will later on regret. And that's why it's important to read detailed lives of saints so you can get the feeling of how difficult it is. Like the saying, St. John Chrysostom, um, one saint went to heaven 
and he was taken, I think, from he, some, an angel took his soul, and he went to heaven, and he saw all the saints there, and then he was sad because he didn't see the soul of St. John Chrysostom, and the angel said to me, if I remember the story right, but the, the essence is there, he goes, what's wrong? He goes, St. John Chrysostom, I don't see him here. He goes, where St. John Chrysostom is, is where the Holy Trinity is with God. But in other words, he's so great of a saint that he's standing in, uh, in front of the throne of God. And so one say, oh, I want to be like that. And St. John Chrysostom had a gift of speech. But St. John Chrysostom, if you read his life, his detailed life, not just a little encounter that he, he was Chrysostom because he has a golden mouth and he brought many to the faith and he was fantastic and he was good and people go, I want to become a preacher. But read his life to see what he went through, the exiles, the torment when they took him for, you know, on his exile on a, on a mule or whatever it was, a horse with no saddle and how the prison guards or the guards were horrible to him. And he suffered and became like nothing. And when you read the new martyrs in the, of Russia that were tortured by the communists, and you read about him in the jails for decades with fleas on them and wounds on them, etc., etc., whereby they were like as nothing. And yes, they're now saints. We have icons of them. But we, what we're more inclined to do because if we watch you know, TV... A lot of the older ones, you know, the Bugs Bunnies and all these, and the younger ones, the, all the other stupid things that they watch. All these things have encouraged one thing, and that is fantasy. And we want to, we want to live this, this life of fantasy to be like the saints. You know, Superman and Spider-Man and Batman and Madman, and I don't know, all these things. <laughs> then people are looking at these things, and they go, I want to be like that. And then when they come to the church, because they're used to the cartoons, they weren't brought up Christian, so the kids watch all these things with their mouths open, and then suddenly they come to the church and they don't read about Batman or, or whatever. Now they read about, you know, these saints that were holy. They go, I want to be like them. When I was young, I would be like Batman. Now I want to be like St. Uh, John Chrysostom and go to preach and do this and do that so I can be with God and everyone can recognize me as a saint. This is the fantasy which goes on. And you think it's funny, but we all are inclined to it. All of us. Everyone has an active fantasy. And the demons use the fantasy to get to us, to bring us into deception. But, not just to look as it is on the TV, the superheroes that would never got hurt. I mean, that... Batman, for example, I mean, I never saw one scratch on him when I was young. And, you, and these the kids look at that, like I used to look at it, and some of you used to look at it. Some have been spared, or that they're lucky, and um, fortunate, blessed in one way. And then we, um, we want to imitate that in the church. No, the church is not like that. The church is one where it's suffering. And suffering is really... No, I don't want to hear about suffering. You know, I want the end result. I want my picture to be in the church and everyone kissing it. So I can be in heaven and looking at it and saying, I'm a saint. But that's not how it is. And you think it's funny, but it's not actually. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's my technique of getting the message across where I use a bit of humor, but 
the meaning is very, very clear. The saints got to where they got through intense suffering. Read Lives of Saints, which explain that, and you won't go wrong. So, there, so it says here that the Christians came and the Saint and Saint Constantine asked for commemorations. He said, ask the, the clergy of the city to pray for me that I don't deny Christ. Ask them to pray for me that I do not give up and lose my soul under the torture. That doesn't look like a superhero. That looks like a person who had fear and humility and knew that if he makes it, it will be with God's help through the prayers of the, of the Christians and especially during the liturgies. Then a certain Turk, a crippled coppersmith, um, instrument of Satan, boasted that he would torture him to such an extent that he would be unable to withstand the pain. He was confident the saint would convert whether he wished to or not. Approximately 10 years prior to that, he had already tortured another one called Newmarta George, who, who persevered to the very last and met his end there. He's commemorated on the 26th of November. That's the Newmarta George. So this particular coppersmith, a satanic man, was. he said, I'm going to torture him, even though he fought with Saint George, but uh, Newmarta George. But he said that the incarnate demon as the person writing the life says, obtained permission to torture the holy martyr in an unspeakable manner. The coppersmith made a metal, a metal helmet and heated it to, so that it glowed red hot and then placed it on the martyr's head. Then he took spheres of lead, put them on his temples, yeah, and tightened them with leather strips so that his eyes nearly fell out to their, of their sockets. Now, you don't see that happening to the superheroes. You don't see that happening to our people that we see on movies and DVDs. This is torture. Then they moved him, and a lot of people actually denied Christ during torture. That's why he knew, because he was prepared. He wasn't in Lululand. He wasn't. He was in Mount Athos, where they said, "This is what's going to happen. This could happen. You got to be very, very careful." One, well, you know, when you're thinking to deny, pray to Christ, ask for help, do this, do that. There was a lot of uh, advice to him of what to do. You didn't just go like that, like a lot of it. Like uh, some Christians, I remember one woman who used to give all her money to the poor. And then she would go home and have fights with her mother because the mother said, we've got no food. So, and then she would fight back and tell off her mother and this and that. So what's the point of the virtue? You know, you've got to think. You just don't just do things because you read about it and your head fantasizes in something. Because you read St. John the Arms Giver, that he gave away his, all the money and this and that. You know, we've got to have discernment and we've got to be careful. That's why if you've got a good spiritual father, ask because the spiritual father knows from experience that, well, look, you know, you give your money to the poor, that's good. But later on, what's the point if you go crazy because you've got no money to pay the bills and then, you know, you start robbing banks or something to, to, um, to do the, you know, to make up for it because you, you didn't have the right faith in the first place. Uh, or, go on the, or, or go on the unemployment or go and do some, like the Greeks used to do years ago and stand in front of a car to get compo. Several days later... They again brought him before Aga, the Aga. The, la the latter asked him if he had changed his mind and what was his name. The mother answered, you are all a group of tyrants and wild beasts, not rational beings. Only free my hands and I will show you who I am. They freed his hands and he made the sign of the cross without any fear, being helped by the prayers of the others that were praying for him. 
Do you see who I am? Do not hope therefore that I will change my mind and have communion with you. At that moment the Aga, the main one, the senior one, stood in a fit of anger and struck him, struck him like on his chest with a, with a knife and made a cross on it. So this is how you confess. Below the wonders of Christ, his garment was torn, but on his, on his chest a golden cross formed, shining brightly with a heavenly light. But the senseless ones were enraged even more and ordered that he be flogged, bound in chains at the neck, arms and waist, and that his feet be put in stocks. And during the night he was hanged upside down in the jail. So, you know, remember what I said last about the um, lounge chair confessors? That people that sit on their lounge chairs and say, oh, you know, oh, we're going to confess the faith. This and that. Yes, that's, that's good. But when there's no repercussions, nothing's going to happen to you, except that you might get some sores from sitting down on the lounge chair too much, then that's a bit of a problem. But when you say, I'm going to make a confession of faith, and you're persecuted, and you endure it and pray, it's a bit different than what it is when we, when we lounge chair confessors of the faith. And again, that comes from the fantasy. <clears throat> I know many people who used to actually um, do this confession of faith. And a lot of them are gone. No, no, no longer. What they were confessing against, they went with. Because they had the notion, oh, St. Mark of Ephesus confessed the faith. And I will confess the faith. Yes, we must confess the faith. But we have to be careful that it's not a fantasy, that we're not driven by pride, but we we're driven by the truth. For example, I know many people who say, I want the faith, I want to confess the faith. But yet in their everyday life, they lie. But the faith is to do with the truth. So if you've got this zeal for the truth, but yet in your everyday life you lie, something just does not compute. Something does not work. Something is not right. Those people are deceived even if they are supposedly confessing the faith. There's a deception there. You cannot... But when we read the lies of saints that they confess the faith... They also were truthful in their everyday life. And if they lied, they repented. I know people who lie continually, have no repentance, but they confess the faith. Now, something's wrong there. You know, orthodoxia, orthopraxia. It means orthodox of faith, the true dogmas, yes, but also orthodox, orthodox life. means our moral life is also we are struggling, not perfect, but struggling, repenting, um, humility, etc. Obedience. Then, yes, when you've got that, orthodoxy of faith sounds correct. See, St. Constantine, he went through obedience, he went through trials, he went through sufferings, he was advised, he listened, especially obedience. Then God gave him orthodoxy of, the, 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 of, of faith where he confessed the faith, and now he's a great martyr of our church. But when you see people that are disobedient, people who can't even listen to their parents, for example, or can't even listen to their husband or their wife or whatever, or to the priest, the priest is saying something good, and all of a sudden they're which is confessors of the faith, conf then that's not right. Because someone uh, said to me last time that they, um, I didn't explain it properly, that... Uh, it came across that I was saying that you should never confess the faith. And I said to the person, thank you for bringing that up. Sometimes when you speak and you want to bring up examples and you don't think of it at the time, 
Um, but I like to. That's why I'm saying that now to clear up what that person said. We yes, when we when we are leading a orthodox spiritual life, then you know it's just you cannot, as it says, uh, be a hypocrite whereby you're looking at the speck in someone's eye when you've got a log. You know these things are all significant, and we will go on to that more as time goes on. But I thank that person for bringing it up, and I hope I cleared that up. And if not. At the end, they can ask questions. So, um, the Christians hearing of the martyr's difficult situation and fearing that he might waver, sent a disciple of, uh, um, of the instructor Gregory named John, who poses a debtor, that, that he owed him money, and said to the Turks, let me in, this Constantine person, he owes me money, he went in there on purpose, and he stayed there in jail with the saint, and um, was encouraging him, don't give up, don't give up, Be, you know, stay strong. But the prince of darkness transformed himself into many apparitions that startled the saint. At times, he's as a woman, for obvious reasons, or a dog, or even a demon. He would appear to the saint in different forms. Sometimes they can appear as the mother of God, sometimes as Christ, sometimes the demons can appear as a saint, as a woman, or it depends on the person's inclination, whatever is the he will try to do and even as himself as a demon the saint could not endure this and was terribly vexed and upset didn't stand there like a statue as we think that the saints did and was completely not un undisturbed by everything he was disturbed obviously you know people say oh if i saw some people say to me oh something happened to me uh i saw this dark shadow and then they as they're saying it they got like a, a self-satisfaction as if that means I'm a saint because I, the devil's bothering me. And I really naive, inexperienced stupidities. When those things appear, you don't just see, you feel. You know, your hair stands up, and I mean stands up. You get shivers, and you become completely, sometimes you can't move. And it's a very, very frightening thing. It's not something that we see on TV of a shadow or something moving or the curtain moving and you know that's just ridiculous um, even though some movies like The Exorcist and things like that they've actually showed some things which I actually watched that to see what was going on and some things were quite uh, interesting mixed with lies and if you, if you haven't read a lot you'd get confused but there were some things like the way that she was acting stiff the, 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 like she went into like a really stiff and then her eyes and the shoutings and the things that they speak you know when you go to Greece and see these possessed people in the churches uh, that was quite um, accurate so um, but not in everything you know they, they, they put in their things so that's it we didn't finish again so I yeah, so, sorry, the, the last few lines. But John encouraged and comforted him with pious words and the examples of the saints, while simultaneously in the churches of Synodia were filled with Christians who offered litanies and vigils on his behalf. All the time. And remember, if you read the ancient lives of saints, it was really, really moving when you, when you hear that when the saint would go, say, into the Colosseum to be eaten by the lions or ripped apart by gladiators or burned alive, the Christians would be praying for him, for her, back in the catacombs. So they're there. And then someone would be there present at the Colosseum or wherever they were, wherever they were being tortured and, and martyred. And then as soon as the person would die, 
then the person that was there would run back to the Christians in the catacombs and said, he's departed. And then they would change the service around and then praying to him as a saint to help them. Before, they were praying for him. And as soon as he martyred, as soon as he confessed Christ and became a martyr, and, you know, so before they were saying, God help him, God help him, God help him to, you know, have mercy and help him, give him strength. And then he died. And then the, all of a sudden they started saying, you know, Holy Saint of God, pray for us, etc. So that is, um, you should also reading that. And that's what was happening here. Because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So a few more pages, but that's okay. I think that it's better instead of rushing, because there's so much we can get from all this. And and I do try to elaborate as much as possible and try to give de you know, things of everyday life. And... Um, I think people have, have told me that they liked it this way, so I hope that um, you also did. So are there any questions? We have seven minutes, because at nine o'clock we will end. There are no questions, that means you've done your job. Maybe, or it could mean that, ah, there's a question. I didn't do my job. When I went to America in 1985, I think it was, and um, there was a weeping icon that's, that was there of the Mother of God. I went and uh, I asked beforehand uh, the Russian church, which I was then, and I said to them, you know, should I go? And they said, you know, many of the bishops have gone, many of the priests have gone, and they say it's authentic. So, you know, that was, I don't think that was in existence for quite a while. And especially when these icons are brought to church and there's prayers, there is a sense of holiness within the church. Miracles occurred which start to confirm that there's something there. You know, so if we stick close to the church, get the advice from the uh, church, usually we, we don't fall away. If you asked in humility to someone, you ask someone in humility, you know, should I go? And, and they said, yes, but it was wrong. God seeing your humility will enlighten you somehow and will, ex uh, and will say to you that something's not, you know, you go there, you feel something's not right and then you take off. Confession is different to a spiritual father. A confessor is one where you say your sins and they read you the prayer of absolution. Usually, my experience is that they don't really say much at all. A spiritual father is someone who really is taking care of your soul, um, knows about you, prays for you continually, cares for you, um, struggles for you, watches out for you, and, you know, where, what are you doing, what's this, what's that? That's different to a confessor. Now, even to a confessor, if you've got no one, and again, God sees your humility and says, well, I've got no one to ask and I've got this problem. So you go to the confessor and you say to him, uh, I saw something, you know, a lot of times God enlightens them. You'd be surprised. People have 
reported back and from my own experience as a lay person. And, you know, you go to someone and you say, oh, you can even be a worldly priest. Doesn't fall into the category of what you would think a priest would be. And, um, and he's known for that and that. And then you go to him and then all of a sudden he says some advice which you just get surprised because God enlightened him because he, God saw your humility. So, you know, that can work out like that too. But just got to be careful. Yes. I just want to ask, in regards to um, if, you, if a person does see a vision, um, how do you actually, as for yourself, test what you see to make sure that it is? Then can we do something as a person or should we just, after we see the vision, go and ask? The first test is what you just said is, the first way is not to trust yourself. Remember, are you in here last time? The uh, Christ, what appeared to be Christ, appeared to us, to a Holy Father or spiritual someone, a monk or something, and then um, he turned his head away like that. And then the figure, which appeared to be Christ, said, I'm Christ. He goes, no, you must have been sent to someone else. You couldn't have been sent to me. I'm not worthy. I'm not this. I'm not that. Go away. And it turned out that it was Christ. Was he punished for being like that? No. He was... God blessed him because he didn't trust himself. The main thing is not to trust and to say, well, why should I see a vision? Well, why should I see a dream? I mean, I've got filthy thoughts. I, you know, swear. I do this. I do that. I'm not even leading a proper spiritual life. I can't fast properly. Why should I have a vision? When you speak like that and then God sees that, he'll enlighten you to see that, you know, what it's from which most of the time it's um, just a, a dream. You could, have read a, you could have read something in a book the night before about a dream, then you see the dream. It's, you know, they're just our experiences or our past coming back into the conscious. There's nothing there. The only time St. John Climacus says to believe dreams is when the dreams are, say, are um, telling you about future torments. And, and it's helping you to come to repentance. But if that dream makes you to fall in despair, then ignore that as well. That's demonic. So if the dream is telling you... I met a person once who actually said they saw a dream and they said that something happened in the dream and from that they kind of repented because in the dream, I don't know what it was, but I can't remember, it said, you know, your life is disgusting and filthy and this and that. And that person began to repent and lead a, a spiritual uh, a life. So John Klimakas says... Yes, but if it brings you into despair, then that's probably demonic as well. Now, there are other examples of people who had good dreams, who brought them to repentance and later on fell away because later on they would remember their dreams and become proud that they had a dream. So my rule is I don't seek them, I don't want them, I don't trust them, even if it's good. If I saw a dream tonight, something and... It came true, I would then say, oh, I think I've been abandoned. I would say, that is now going to be a big temptation in my life because the devil's going to bring that back. Oh, you had that dream. You were right. You had that dream. You were right. You were that. And for, make you fall into deception. It's really dangerous. So let's have a rule. Let's believe nothing. That's the safest. You have that rule, you're, you know, many who saw visions fell away later on. Some didn't, a lot did. I'm scared. Yep. But the, one other thing is, if the vision is not actually, um, say it's not actually the vision of a saint or an angel, or 
even Jesus at that moment, brother, it's something dramatic. Like you actually know it was evil, what you saw. Right. But then when you actually, you know, you actually use like your faith to get rid of this vision. Oh, you mean someone's been pestered a lot in their dream and maybe having demonic problems. Well, then they have to uh, speak to the spiritual father or and pray, asking God to remove them. But those type of dreams don't usually elate someone. It actually torments them because it's really, you know, they wake up, you know, people become riveted to their beds. They can't move. You know, I, I remember someone said they went to Mount Athos. Um, that was their first time to go into Mount Athos to discover orthodoxy. And they went to a monastery. And um, the spiritual father there, that's, that, there's actually a book about him here, one of the books there. Anyway, and he said to him, you know, you should um, you know, stay here. And then the, that night, he went to the room. It was, it was anyone in the room. I was a bit. It was, I think it was a season where there wasn't many tourists there. So he was in a room of around you know, 20 beds and all of a sudden he wasn't sleeping and the bed started shaking and the sheets started flying in the air and he was, he couldn't move. And then when it was over, he ran to the spiritual father and said, what's going on? You know, he goes, he goes, oh, goes nothing. The demons don't want you to come to the faith. It's a simple, he was really simple about it, right? But the experience of that person didn't have a, a pride and go, I was tempted by the demons last night, you know, and that means I'm spiritual. He was scared, as was evident, as the evidence showed in the back of his pants. <laughs> yes, any other um, uh, questions? Yes? Um, you were saying, Father, about uh, read the lives of the saints. Do you have any recommendation of what book or what text or how we could go about that in a organized way. Thank God that downstairs there are so many, you know, people might think I'm doing it as a, I don't get commission. Downstairs there are so many lives of saints and especially uh, more modern day saints which can talk about things that relate to us because when you read say St. John Climacus, he doesn't say in his letter that TV has these effects because there was no TV in the 6th century. Right? And they don't talk about you know, modern medical technology, which we talked about in the first speak, talk about things that are really, you know, wrong. And all these modern things that are happening now, they don't speak about. So that's why it's good to read Elder Porfirios, Elder Paisius, and other things. I've also, there was one here. You know, these people that lived, he lived, I think he just died a few years ago, for example. And other and others, uh, you know, elder uh, elder philosophers of Varcos, read a lot of them, but also read the older lives of saints as well, because there's a lot of good things in there. Does that um, answer your question? Somewhat. I was just thinking if there was a text that could summarize. There is just, a just one, but to summarize. Yeah, there is a there is one that's come out now by Simono Petra Monastery, which is. The, min, uh, the lives of saints for each month with a number of saints in every volume. Uh, I don't know if the bookshop's got it, but I will tell them because something's been on my mind that they should get. Uh, it's going to be a 12-volume set, which is... Um, that. But I, I don't think it can be systematic. Like, I think you just got to pray and God will enlighten to find the right book. You know, you got to... You know, you see a book, you get a feeling to get it. You know, get it, read it. 
must in another bookshop. They might not have it here. Any? Question. No. Sorry. Is there a, a way of starting Latin first, second, third? Oh, sorry, sorry. Is that the meaning of your question, Alex? Yeah. Whereby uh, a systematic state, way that yeah, you can. No, no, That's a good question, and that's correct, but there's one little exception. Some people will read one particular type of saint. For example, I've met people that only read ascetics, and they believed they were ascetics. See? Then there was others that, that read only on confessors. So, you know, you, they were Yahoo and everywhere and confessed in the faith. And then there's others who, you know, read a different type of saint, you know, like... Um, um, sorry? Oh, there's a lot of them. So that's wrong. That's why I organise for the lives of saints that, that we do, the ones downstairs, that we put in one volume, like volume one will have a martyr, a confessor, a married saint, uh, an ascetic, you know, women, men, all mixed into one. And then the second volume will have Saint Nectarios, and then there'll be a, a, an ascetic, and a martyr, and a woman abbess, or a married... Yeah, married this and that, all different. So I tried to, in every volume, put an assortment. Just do not read one. As time goes on, if you're becoming inclined, say, to the priesthood, then obviously you're going to start reading, under instructions, right? more books on priest saints. You know, if you're going to become a monk and it's not just a fantasy, then you begin to read more on that. Then, also, those who are married, you try to get your hands on as many lives of saints that are married. Because I noticed a lot of Orthodox Christians just read ascetical books. I mean, this book is good because, yes, he was a monk, but there's advice there for married people. But some of the other books are for monastics. And the, the rules for monasticism, some apply, but they're not really for married people. And you've got to read books that are for married people as well. Yes? Mm -hmm. I bought a few of those uh, lives of the saints, uh, small synaxone, uh, as some people call it, and I found them to be inaccurate, very inaccurate, and uh, written in a kind of superstitious way, and attributing superstitions to the saints. That's what I was saying before, that depends on who is doing them. You've got to be careful that you've got a good producer of the life. Like, for example, the Archman Dranharambos Vassilopoulos, his books I like, which they were in English. It's excellent. He tries to relate it to today's world. Beautiful books. I think the Apostoliki, the Akunia, you know, they have the lives of saints. But then you've got others that are written by people who know, and they just like, even go onto the internet and you might. I read, for example, this life trying to get some information and one account was different to the other account to the other account so that does happen yes any other questions okay all right um the talk next um the next talk which is uh july the third a tuesday again 7 30 it's the first of the month and on that day it will be decided according to um, the bookshop and according to the people's desire whether you would like some more talks because there's no point in doing them if people you know really don't want them. I suppose if you're here you want them so uh, <laughs> Tuesday the 3rd of July 2007 is the next one that's the last one of this series of talks 
hopefully we'll finish this life and thereafter you let people you let me know or Mike here of whether you want some more talks and then it will be decided whether that will occur or not and this particular I decided to put them in this form <coughs> I mean most of you got this last time but some of you didn't that's um, reading and imitating the lives of saints we gave them out in sheets you're welcome if you want to take it in booklet form or if you want to take some to give to other people they're given for free um, they're printed by monastery and um, it's nice because it talks about what I spoke about you know uh, about the importance of reading the lives of saints and imitating the lives of saints. Okay. Praise the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our God of mercy, to save us. Amen.